It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good Monday morning to you. Yes, Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. And we have, we have a really good show for you. Uh, coming up later this hour, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Nicole Safir. We're going to talk to her um, about coronavirus and this vaccine and when you can look forward to getting it, if that's what, uh, what you want, if you're waiting for that vaccine. We're going to find out when you may be able to get that vaccine. But we're starting off with my friend Kevin Cork, Fox News White House correspondent. Kevin, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It was actually pretty good. Now, you probably know this. I ended up working this Thanksgiving. We have sort of a deal at uh, the network where if you work one, you're usually given the other off, meaning if you work Thanksgiving, you're free on Christmas. If you work Christmas, you're free on Thanksgiving. Now, obviously, that's for us uh, mere mortals, not for you uh, lofty folks like yourself. But at any rate, (laughs) I got a chance to work uh, over in Delaware over the holiday, and it was actually nice. I did something that I rarely do. I had Chinese food for Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're supposed to do that on Christmas. (laughs) Right. I know. But I was like, you know what? It's just me. And it was the only uh, restaurant open near the hotel. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do like I used to do that in New York City when I lived in Murray Hill. Yeah, I was on 39th and 2nd Ave. And uh, earlier in my career, I'd have to work Christmas. And so that was a thing. A lot of us would just run over and get some Chinese food. So I decided to bump it up a holiday. Well, look at you. Well, if it makes you feel better, both my husband and I work. We work every holiday because when you don't have, you know the deal. You don't have children. You work, right? So um, so we both worked Thanksgiving, <laughs> and uh, he's an ICU doctor. And so he rolled in. He probably went to work about 5 a.m., got home about 7.15. And we had um, pre-prepared flounder stuffed with crab meat. So that's what we had. So Ooh, step up from Chinese food, really if I do well. say so myself. Well done, you. <laughs> <laughs> it was made by someone else. <laughs> Okay. So that was our, you know what, next year you come, you come visit us and you can have Thanksgiving here, Kevin. Well, thank you. And uh, hopefully next year I'll uh, be off Thanksgiving and I, I usually do overeat anyway. So for me, it was probably just as well. Just as well. <laughs> the president uh, this weekend finally came out. A lot of people have been wanting him to, to speak and he started to do that a little bit more. And he was on with Maria Bartiromo yesterday and I watched the, the interview and you could tell that, and this is just my own take on it, but I, I, the president to me seemed very aggrieved and he just wanted to vent. Like he finally had um, a venue in which he could get all of his grievances out. It was like Festivus and he, and, and it rightfully so, I mean, with the Supreme courts, he was talking with the, excuse me, the courts, the state courts around the country, everything, all the, all the evidence they have and the frustration, not being able to present any of this. He asked a really good question. And this to me was, was, I thought when I heard this, I sat up and I was like, wow, this is a great question. I just want you to hear what he has to say here about the FBI and the DOJ. And I know FBI, and FBI is great at the levels that we talk about, but uh, I just, it's inconceivable. You you would think if you're in the FBI or Department of Justice, this is is the biggest thing you could be looking at. 
Where are they? I've not seen anything. I mean, I just they just keep moving along and they go on to the next president. They've been there for a long time. People don't understand this. They've been there for a long time. Some of them have served a lot of different presidents and they have their own views. Where are the DOJ and the FBI? Do you know? Do you have do you have an inside scoop the rest of us don't know about? I would love to tell you that I do. And I have some great relationships with some folks over at DOJ and, and have had for, for quite some time. Uh, I'm less well connected at the uh, at the Bureau, maybe more so at the agency or even up at Mead. And, and I'll just tell you this. It, it is shocking, I think, to anyone who's been watching this all unfold, beginning on November the 4th, when uh, most of us went to bed. It seemed fairly obvious based on the normal count. Yes. Then there was an inexplicable cessation, a, a stopping of the counting in a number of states. And then from there, uh, quite, quite strikingly, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of ballots going the other way. And so the question becomes, if you're the DOJ, uh, does this not warrant a, a very close look? I would think so. And I'm quite bluntly, I have to just say, I'm stunned that Bill Barr hasn't been out there. I'm surprised that Chris Ray hasn't been out there, and I can understand why the president might feel the way he does. Yeah, I'm not surprised about Christopher Ray. I'm really not. I'm I am I am very surprised uh, about Bill Barr. Now, Epic Times is reporting, and they just they put this out this morning, late yesterday. Um, yeah, late last they put this out late last night that the FBI has apparently reached out to the Voter Integrity Project, which is led by Matt Brainard, who's a former data and strategy director for Trump's 2016 campaign, and he tweeted. He tweeted out that the FBI has proactively and directly requested from me the VIP findings that indicates illegal ballot. So it seems as if they're doing something, but is it too little too late? Well, a couple things come to mind immediately. Number one, if you trust the process, and I've heard people use that expression, uh, then you have to believe that these are honorable women and men who will make certain that every stone is unturned to ensure the, uh, the integrity of our, our circumstances here. And so uh, I guess it's just up to, to the rest of us to sit back and wait and presume that is the case. But I would just add this, if I might, and I apologize for the uh, line disruption. Understand that while there are millions and millions of people who feel very strongly that something untoward has happened during this election, it doesn't mean that other people don't see it. Meaning it doesn't mean that officials don't see it. It doesn't mean that courts don't see it. You just have to let the evidence play itself out. That's tough for me to say because I'm a microwave guy. I want justice and I want it now. Uh, But uh, if you really believe that something untoward has happened, trust the process. And and frankly, if you're a person of faith, pray that they get it right, because our country is, I mean this, at a real crossroads. And what happens in the next few weeks uh, will absolutely impact the history of this nation. You know, no joke. I say this and I, you know, kind of was a little like uh, not embarrassed, but I'm like, oh, people are going to think I'm crazy. I have had St. Michael on speed dial. I added St. Jude in about five days into this and uh, the rosary are just getting worn down. I do believe uh, in in the power of prayer. And so um, doesn't it doesn't cost me anything to do. So I'm a big fan of it. So I'm glad to hear I'm on the same page as you because I consider you to be a very, very smart man.
The, I want to go to cut one here. Thank this you. is um, the president on um, with Maria Bartiromo yesterday, and he suggested something, and, I, and I, it made my ears perk up. This whole thing is a terrible situation. This should have never been allowed to happen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an embarrassment to our country. All over the world, they're talking about it. And, yeah, I would consider her a special prosecutor because, you know, this is not a counsel. It sounds so nice. I went through three years of a special counsel prosecutor. I call prosecutor because it's a much more accurate term. The suggestion of a special prosecutor to look into the election, and I think Maria had um, suggested a special counsel. The pro- uh, the thing I see with that is I thought, wow, you know, that would be great. But if Joe Biden becomes president, this all dies. He's going to squash it all. There would be no special counsel and there'd be no special prosecutor, right? Well, not exactly. Not exactly. Once the uh, ball is rolling, the ball is rolling. I think the better the better way to look at it might be uh, if something were – say, begun now, and they continue to push forward, because where the evidence goes, that's where you have to go. Um, it could get very dicey. It, become, it could become uh, a narrative, unfortunately, for a Biden administration to sort of be hampered with the cloud of, of uh, 2020 hanging over, which is ironic when you consider President Trump uh, had to sort of operate with the cloud of 2016 hanging over uh, for the first three years uh, of his administration, and so uh, which I'm not so sure was was good for the country either. So uh, I'm not sure if um, if this is a good idea. I would say this: if you're not satisfied and you don't feel like you were given proper relief, I think the DOJ and the AG need to move forward with something like this because even if he's no longer there, we're speaking of uh, uh, Bill Barr. Uh, the work continues. They don't just uh, pull up stakes just because uh, they change the person at the top. So, but if if the Republicans lose the Senate because of Georgia, if they lose the Senate, though, would that change the possibility of just disbanding um, any kind of special prosecutor or special counsel? A number of things change if that happens. You're right. That's number. That's absolutely number one. It changes also Senate investigations, uh, which can be quite weighty. Uh, for the folks that uh, are not familiar, you know, the House gets a lot of buzz, but the Senate can certainly uh, uh, twist the uh, – they can twist you a little bit if you're not careful. And so it, it's my opinion that if uh, the Republicans were to lose the Senate – not sure they will, by the way, but if they did, uh, then absolutely. Then a lot of what we have seen and a lot of the uh, concerns that millions of Americans have about the integrity of this past election will very likely be swept under the rug. This is why it's so important to get this right. And it's even more important for people to be fully engaged. Don't just sit back and take in what you hear on the radio or maybe a soundbite on television. Do your homework. It's not hard. It's out there online. You can read these filings. Sidney Powell and others, I put uh, Lynn Wood in particular, putting out compelling information. And I say that to say this, whether you think this is all a bunch of hooey or if you really think something wrong happened, inform yourself, arm yourself with knowledge, because that's the only way we move together as a family, as an American family. Yeah, that's so true. Just one more question. I know we're up against the clock, so I apologize. But again, there's so many things I could always ask you. Um, what you're, you're on Capitol Hill all the time. 
It seems to me as if some Republicans are just resigned to the president losing and they're not going to fight. They've learned nothing from President Trump about fighting. Others, like Rand Paul, coming out and saying something's not right here. He tweeted that out yesterday. Uh, What is the general vibe you get, though, from the Republicans? Are they going to do the typical Republican thing and just hand the Democrats their lunch money and just walk away? If you want my my gut, my gut is too many of them will. Uh, not all will. And the best thing that I can share with your listeners is it doesn't matter. If you're a squish, as uh, some like to say, a term it on Capitol Hill, uh, the voters will remember. And if you're a hawk and you're hardcore and you want to fight and support the uh, leader of your party, voters will remember that too. So, uh, you know, buyer beware. And if you are one of those folks who feels like you can sort of hide, uh, you can't. And trust me, people notice. Yeah, it's very I was very I was very heartened to see Rand Paul. He tweeted out last night. Interesting. Trump margin of defeat in four states occurred in four data dumps between one thirty four and six thirty one a.m. I actually tweeted. Yeah, he tweeted that yesterday. Statistical Mm -hmm. anomaly fraud. Look at the evidence and decide for yourself. That is if big tech allows you to read this. And then he had a link there. Uh, to some data that you could go in and check it out for yourself. And what I find interesting is that if you um, tweet out or put anything on on Facebook about the stopping of the voting overnight, how they stopped and then there was this big data dump and then you look at the charts, Twitter will block it uh, or or put some kind of uh, you know warning on it. And the same thing with Facebook. They will fact check it and, t- and, and say that it is absolutely false that that never happened. And, it's crazy. and that's never happened in our in our lives. Certainly, I've been following elections uh, for the past 30 plus years, and I've never seen it. And you haven't seen it. And there's a reason because it's never happened. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Kevin Cork, thank you so much for your time. And if you need somewhere to go for Christmas, I'm working, but you're more than welcome to come here. <laughs> you're the best. Absolutely. Thank you and have a wonderful show and a great day. Thank you so much, Kevin Court. More coming up uh, about what the president had to say and also uh, just some things coming out of some of the states with, um, you know, with these uh, this election battle and where we are with some of these state courts. It's crazy. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We have stories that are unbelievable, but we're not allowed to put in our proof. They say you don't have standing. I said I'd like to file to the lawyers. I would like to file one nice, big, beautiful lawsuit. Talking about this and many other things with tremendous proof. We have trem- we have affidavits. We have hundreds and hundreds of affidavits. And they say, sir, you don't have standing. I say, I don't have standing. You mean as president of the United States, I don't have standing. What kind of a court system is this? That's a really good question, Mr. President. Uh, Considering the Pennsylvania Supreme Court dismissed a case Saturday night that was brought by some Republicans in that state, including Mike Kelly, uh, and they wanted to overturn this this Act 77, which you'll hear. And um, that was something where it deemed all mail-in votes in the election. Um, they, they want to deem all mail-in votes in the election to be illegal. And, you know, what they're saying is, is that the law was changed uh, by the Secretary of State. And she, it did not go through the state legislature as it's supposed to do. And when you make changes depending on the level at which the changes are made, voters in that state are supposed to be able to vote on them, but none of those things happened. So uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, well, you should have overturned it when it was first voted, when it was first passed in 2019, instead of waiting until the election was over uh, a year later. Uh, So, but then a Pennsylvania judge, the same judge, Patricia McCullough, ruled Friday night that her earlier temporary injunctions, this was Friday night, against the state's election certification process was valid and should be enforced. So she ruled that on Friday, and then this Supreme Court ruling for the state Supreme Court came in on Saturday. Now, the lawsuit argued that that same Act 77 that was passed in 2019 contravened the requirements of the Pennsylvania Constitution, and the claimants claimed that an attempt by the legislature to fundamentally overhaul the Pennsylvania voting system and permit universal no excuse mail in voting absent or constitutional authority. Um, so she upheld that on Friday night, but on Saturday, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court shot them down. And as you know, that they, they're going to now try to take it to the Supreme Court. And so this is not one that is being brought by the Trump campaign. This is by a group of Republican senators in Pennsylvania. And a federal appeals court dismissed a lawsuit by the Trump campaign on Friday. Uh, And now they say they're going to take it all the way up to the Supreme Court because you heard the president say there, you're claiming I have no merit. He has no standing. Uh, They say. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said the campaign's claims have no merit.
He's like, how can it have no merit? I'm the guy running. I'm the aggrieved party. What do you mean it has no merit? It's crazy. Uh, and you have you have Newt Gingrich coming out saying that the more data that comes out on vote anomalies that clearly are not legitimate, the more it looks like 2020 may be the biggest presidential theft since Adams and Clay robbed Andrew Jackson in 18. 18- 24. You have retired a Lieutenant General Michael Flynn now speaking up and saying that this is still the coup in process. In other words, what they did to me was the beginning of it, which to get rid of me because I could stand in the way between President Trump and what the other things that happened to him because he knew he knew enough to do that. They've upped their game when they lost in 2016. I think that there was a decision to say we're not going to allow this to happen again. So, um, so a lot going on. We'll keep you updated. Oh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Sapphire joining us next. Coronavirus, the vaccine. It, it, if you want it, you may be able to get it. So that's next, right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So do you, Governor, give credit to the Trump administration for where we are on that front? I do. Uh, period. Um, I was on uh, privately with Vice President Pence uh, just before Thanksgiving and said so. We're on calls regularly with the White House. We've got one tomorrow. Uh, in addition to Secretary Azar, you've got the likes of Tony Fauci, General Gus Perna, New Jersey's own, who's overseeing the distribution, Stephen Hahn, others. I also give the private sector players a lot of credit, and I give decades of investment in public health a lot of credit. All right. That was Governor Phil Murphy from the wonderful state of New Jersey and here to discuss coronavirus and make some sense of the insanity, the nonsensical. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News medical contributor and author of Make America Healthy Again. Dr. Sapphire, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So you heard um, what Governor Phil Murphy had to say, and I thought it was so ironic. You know, he gave President Trump credit, which I thought was great. It's so interesting because up until the election, they were giving him credit for nothing. Absolutely nothing. And we know that, um, you know, the Biden campaign was told about Pfizer's um, Pfizer having the vaccine. But the Trump campaign found out about it uh, when it was announced. Uh, the, I think it was the Monday after the election. So they're, they're clearly no friend of President Trump. Um, but do you think that um, the, the vaccine, the way this is going through, do you think you know damage has been done by people like Joe Biden, by by Kamala Harris, by others on the left saying, well, "I'm not taking the vaccine," you know, because it came out under President Trump? Do they have they done damage to Americans by doing that? Well, first of all, you know, I rarely agree with Governor Murphy on just about anything. So it was very encouraging, and I was happy to hear him say this. But, of course, as you pointed out, you know, it's a day late and a dollar short. I mean, all of a sudden, support for President Trump has come out after the election. And, you know, that timing, it really makes certain people feel skeptical. There has absolutely been damage done in terms of vaccine confidence by comments that have been made and the politicization of the entire vaccine process. Ultimately, as a country and as our policymakers, we should all be rejoicing in the fact that um, the, the amount of billions of dollars have been provided to expedite the vaccine manufacturing 
um, research and development and even distribution process has gotten us to the point where we're going to have tens of millions of Americans vaccinated against this novel coronavirus in under a year. So let me ask you about that vaccine. Um, so from what I understand, depending on whether it's Moderna's or it is um, Pfizer's, it has anywhere from a 90 to 95 percent efficacy. Now, I look at that and I say to myself, I'm not real good at math, but I know that from my age and my lack of comorbidities, some pretty healthy, that I'll probably have about an 80% chance of having few to no symptoms or maybe, you know, just mild symptoms if I get coronavirus. And then I have a 99.96% chance of surviving the virus and I'll have the antibodies. Or I can take a vaccine that only has 90 to 95% efficacy. So in my brain, I'm like, well, if I have a 99.9% chance of surviving, the odds are over 80% that I'll have few to no symptoms whatsoever. And then I've got 100% sure I've got the antibodies. For me, that just seems to be a safer way to go. You're talking about natural immunity versus vaccine immunity? Well. Well, here's the thing. When you, we, in terms of looking at overall safety data for the vaccines, there have been no major events reported with these vaccines, which is, means, and zero people have gotten severe illness who have received the vaccine, and zero people have died. We cannot say the same regarding COVID-19, where over 270,000 Americans have died in the last nine to 10 months from this vaccine. So while you may statistically look at the numbers and feel that you may fall into one category, ultimately, that's not a guarantee. And we have healthy young Americans dying every day from COVID-19. So while we want to say that it is a disease of the elderly, a disease of those with comorbidity, this disease affects everybody. And death is not the only metric. It's not just about who lives and who dies. It is the severity. It is about the hospitals being overrun. And then we have development of long COVID syndrome where you're having up to 50% of people with COVID-19 reporting some sort of chronic effects over a month later from that. When we already lead the world in comorbidities and chronic illness, the last thing Americans need is another chronic illness, which not only makes people sick and shortens lifespans, but also increases our cost of health care. So the, there is... It, that achieving herd immunity through the natural process has never been done for pandemics because it is ethically not right and hundreds of thousands more Americans will die. And so it's one thing for someone to say, well, this isn't going to affect me, but we are a community, we are a nation, and we are social animals. And so we have to take care of those around us. So do we do this every flu season now? It's very possible that SARS-CoV-2 may become endemic, like the flu. Uh, You know, we don't have the data yet to say if these antibodies are going to provide or if vaccines or even natural exposure to the virus is going to give us lifelong immunity. It's possible that it's going to become seasonal. So it's not just flu season, but COVID and flu season. Um, Ultimately, though, the flu vaccine gives us anywhere from 40 to 60 percent effectiveness in preventing the flu, but then the people who developed the flu who got the vaccine, it also prevents severity of illness. And that's one important thing that Moderna is saying with their vaccine. Not only does it blow the flu vaccine out of the water, providing a 94.1% efficacy in clinical trials, but they're also saying it prevents severity of illness. So in the 6% of people who got the vaccine and then developed COVID-19, none of them were severe. And ultimately, that is our goal in reducing the severity of illness, keeping our hospitals functioning, and overall saving lives.
Um, Eric, can you bring up uh, cut cut eleven here? Uh, this is Doctor Fauci talking about you know the possibility of a surge upon a surge and what we have to do about that. But cut eleven, Eric. Close the bars and keep the schools open. If you look at the data, the spread among children and from children is not really very big at all. Not like one would have suspected. So let's try to get the kids back, but let's try to mitigate the things that maintain and and just push the kind of community spread that we're trying to avoid. So it's a good thing to get the kids back to school. The kids really need it. We know that because kids are suffering. They're not getting the education they need. We've seen depression up and so on. But keeping other things closed down, and again, you can go to a liquor store to buy your liquor, but you can't go to a bar, and you can't eat out. And like in New Jersey, you can't eat inside. If you eat inside, they have to have the doors and the windows open with the air conditioning on for airflow. So you sit there freezing, but yet I can sit outside in a tent if, if a place has enough room. They can put a tent outside in the parking lot with enclosed sides, and it's enclosed with heaters in it. So I can dine indoors, outdoors, and then, but I can't dine indoors. It, it just seems to be just so random to people what are the what are the other effects mental health wise of of this pandemic and these lockdowns and just just restricting people's movements well that random effect that you're discussing is um, is a very unfortunate result of this pandemic and you have people saying everything is under the guise of following the science but a lot of the recommendations are not actually following the science and as you alluded to it can an enclosed tent in a parking lot is the exact same thing as being indoors. Uh, unless they're maximizing the square footage, it is the same thing, and which is why you are seeing transmission um, at, outside at restaurants. Ultimately, we know that congregating in small enclosed spaces without masks on increases the rate of transmission of this virus. So that the ultimate goal is to lessen that. Um, in terms of schools, the, the overwhelming evidence tells us transmission is not occurring in schools. And it's not that children don't transmit the virus or don't become infected with the virus itself. It's just that the majority of schools are doing the right thing and they're doing what they can to lessen the spread. Unfortunately, when you have high community rates of transition, then you will see higher cases in the schools. So if our ultimate goal is to make sure that our children are being educated, our children's mental health is preserved, then it is crucial to decrease community transmission. Um, I, I get very frustrated with the people saying that they're following the science and then they're not following the science, such as in L.A. County, where they're saying they no longer can do outdoor dining. That doesn't make sense. Um, but ultimately, it is about what can we do to lessen transmission, and we know how to do that. We know by limiting the amount of people congregating together, by wearing masks when you're unable to maintain six feet with other people. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, when you have people out at restaurants or at bars and alcohol is invi- involved, they tend to become more disinhibited, and the guards come down and the social distancing measures, you know, kind of go out the door. And that is that is why people are suggesting that some of these areas need to decrease or close. Um, you know, one thing that was very interesting is out of uh, Utah, one of their epidemiological institutes surveyed and showed when you have mass mandates and you have other safety measures in place, it actually showed an increase communer or um, consumer spending. So we want to keep our businesses open. We want to make sure that all of our small businesses maintain and thrive throughout this pandemic and for years to come. And so we have to, what we have to do for, is from public health um, perspective is to make sure that people feel comfortable and safe going out. And if a way to do that are 
requiring people to wear masks or increasing square footage when people are congregating. That's what needs to be done to make sure that consumers go out and are buying to make sure that our economy stays open. Yeah, and small businesses as well. We've got more with Dr. Nicole Sapphire coming up because I have a lot more questions for you. Um, and it's, it's good to be able to get some real answers as opposed to what the media just keeps telling me. So more with Dr. Nicole Sapphire coming up right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm not sure I'd say possible, Brett, but it has to stay on the table. You hate like heck to even have to consider that. And and God willing, we won't have to. I'll tell you what would really make a difference here. A big federal stimulus sooner than later with a lifeline to small businesses, restaurants, folks who are unemployed. That would be a game changer, not just in their lives and in their prospects, but it gives us more degrees of freedom in terms of dealing with the virus. So it's on the table in terms of a shutdown. Uh, I don't anticipate it, and I sure as heck don't want to go that route. But boy, federal stimulus would give us a lot more ammunition to do a lot more things right now. That is the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, on with Brett Baer uh, over the weekend. I think it was yesterday he was on with him talking about whether having to shut down the economy again in New Jersey. You know, if we continue to see a rise in cases, uh, because he, we would hate to drive those small businesses uh, is out of business. But that's exactly what would happen. And Dr. Nicole Sapphire is here with us. And you had you had mentioned shopping. And that's the reason I wanted to play that clip is because you mentioned shopping and how you know, if we can do it safely, it can be done safely. And we're we're doing everything we possibly can to do it safely. I, I get, I think people though, and I may be wrong here. I just think people aren't, get, they're not necessarily getting infected when they go shopping. I think there's probably other times where they're, they're picking it up somewhere else because people, people are crazy. When you go shopping, they walk away from you. They like walk to the other side of the aisle. Some people are just crazy about this. It, do I, am I interpreting this wrong that it, that's not where this is happening? No, you're absolutely correct. And interestingly enough, as the case, when they report on cases in restaurants and retail shopping, the the majority of the cases are actually among the staff. Um, and why is that? That's because staff members congregate in back areas, and maybe they're comfortable with each other, so they remove their masks. Um, but so the majority of transmission occurring is among the staff members. Um, the majority of where the rest of us are all getting it are in our indoor gatherings when we are with our friends, with our family, in our own home spaces. Um, So it is essential for people to feel comfortable to go out. And by wearing masks, by using the hand sanitizer, restricting the amount of people who can be in a store at one time, all of these things absolutely follow the science and drastically reduce your risk of getting this virus. So we should be able to go out. There are safe ways to do everything. There were safe ways to get together for Thanksgiving, and there are going to be safe ways to get together for Christmas. Ultimately, we just have to be smart about it and do what we can to lessen the spread. That doesn't mean everything needs to be shut down. Exactly. And and I wanted to bring up, because I thought this was so sh- just gl- shocking to me, Japan, 
Um, they have a, a historically high rates of suicide to begin with. But the numbers had started to trend down in that country. But now the National Police Agency is saying that suicides, suicides surged to over 2,000, 2,153 in the month of October alone, with more than 17,000 people taking their own lives this year so far. That's more significantly more than the number of people who have died from coronavirus in that country. They have a much lower rate of coronavirus uh, infections there. It's an island, so it's, pro- it's a little bit easier, I guess, to, to control it. But more people dying from suicide in one month in Japan than the entire coronavirus pandemic. Well, and, you know, I saw that as well, and it is jarring headline and a good reminder that our mental health is just as important, if not more important, than our physical health. And in the United States, what I can say is for pediatric emergency room visits regarding mental health issues, we are up about 30 to 40 percent since March. Our children are suffering. The adults are suffering. If we as an adult feel out of control and with future uncertainty, imagine what our children feel. And, And, you know, the pediatric and geriatric pediatric populations are really underrepresented when it comes to um, making sure that they're doing okay mentally. And one of the biggest ways to make sure that we are all doing okay mentally is making sure our children are in school, making sure that our unemployment rates stay low. And this is all done by keeping businesses open and not shutting things down. So it is up to our policymakers and it is up to us as individuals to make sure community transmission is low so that we are not shutting down businesses again, because if you do that, you'll have a rise in unemployment rate, and we will also see that rise in suicide rate. We already know that alcohol and other drug consumption is up. We have increased calls for domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it'll in time, we will see most likely that we also have a rise in suicide. It just We won't know the full effects of this pandemic for months, if not years to come. Yeah, and I, I, th- I fear at some point, as the president said, you, you sometimes get to the point where the cure is worse than the disease itself, and, and you wind up with worse effects, lingering effects than you do with the disease. How do we get people, since we're talking about mental health, there are some people who are so insanely afraid. How do we ever get them over that fear and back to being able to live a normal life? Or is that just never going to be able to? Well, you know, there is there's appropriate and inappropriate levels of fear. And unfortunately, there has been fear mongering that has occurred in regards to this pandemic. It is important for everyone to know the far majority of people will survive this. And it is even more important for people to know that vaccines are on their way. We have treatments now and we actually know how this virus is transmitted. If you take that knowledge, you are able to protect yourself and those around you from this viral infection. Um, and is the, with knowledge comes power. And before in the spring, we didn't know any of that. So uh, to be honest, I was nervous about it. I was fearful of it as well. This virus is a very tricky virus, and we're still learning new things about it all the time. But ultimately, we cannot have a fear of this virus more than, say, cancer or heart disease, because cancer and heart disease remain the number one and number two killers of all Americans. So we need to make sure that we are doing what we can to prevent all physical illness by living our healthiest lives. Um, and it's not, it can't just be about COVID. It has to be about everything. And maybe this is a wake-up call for the United States, for Americans everywhere, to live a healthier life and making sure that they themselves are physically and mentally healthy. 
Yeah, that's that is so true, and that's a great note to leave this. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. I appreciate your time, Dr. Nicole Sapphire. We appreciate it, and um, everybody stay healthy. All right, uh, and if you have questions, I really think people need to talk to their doctors and, and and get some professional opinion versus what the media is telling you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us. More coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, I get to sit in the seat for Brian today. It's very nice. It's all nice and warm. He sits in a very nice, it's leather. It's awesome. I am Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilby. Joining us now, Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, so great to be able to talk to you again. My pleasure, Mary. Thank you. Now, in your city, in New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced yesterday that he's going to reopen public elementary schools. They were doing a hybrid model, but he's, he's going to be phasing that out, yet still keeping middle and high schools closed. Why this sudden turnaround with Mayor de Blasio? It's a bizarre situation, Mary. I mean, he never should have closed the schools in the first place. When he did, he subsequently admitted he did not have a plan to reopen them. Suddenly, they're reopening. Um, it, it just feels like the city is being led by whimsical notions. And, and this one, I think, is directly traceable to an agreement with the teachers' unions, which said that when the overall positive rate of testing in the city as a whole reached 3%, then the schools would close. Never mind the fact that there are uh, a lot of testing, uh, there is a lot of testing being done in the schools, and the positive rate there is 0.23%. In other words, less than half of a percent as opposed to over 3% in the city as a whole. So why would you close schools? Well, the answer is he made an agreement with the teachers' union that when it hit 3%, the schools would close. But the irrelevance of it is obvious, and yet the mayor and the union insisted on it. And then it looks as though, and we don't know this for certain, the union began to feel the sting of all the criticism that it was enforcing this agreement when it was not necessary and that it was effectively just shutting down the schools uh, for no good reason by sticking to this 3% agreement. So the union first suggested, well, we don't need to close all the schools, perhaps just those in the areas with the highest infection positive tests. So the mayor jumped on that. They began renegotiating again, and presto, the schools will begin opening next week. Now, look, I think that the hypocrisy here and the incompetence is so manifest because this mayor came into office seven years ago saying he was going to help the children most at risk. But everything he has done has hurt those children. Everyone knows that that the students do not learn as well at home, particularly the very young students. And so this mayor has never made any accommodation, never made any effort to, to force the schools to stay open. They opened late. 
They closed, they, they, and now they're going to reopen again. But overall, they will have lost already. By Christmas, they will have lost at least a month of school. So this is, this is just failure for these kids. He also fights the charters who are helping these poorest kids. So he's, he's just been a terrible mayor on this issue and so many others. Yeah, I was going to say, that's just the tip of the iceberg that he's been a terrible mayor right. on. <laughs> I, I mean, I, and we usually go into Manhattan for our Christmas gift to each other. We go in, we, we eat at Patsy's, you know, and, and we go and we right. see the windows at Macy's and we go to Mass at St. Patrick's and everything. There is no way I'm going into the city because I do not have time to be stabbed. I have Christmas cards to write. So I'm not, we're, we're not doing it this year. It's terrible. So I say that joking, but it's true. We're not, we're not doing it. But the overall uh, effect of the lockdowns on New York, you have Phil Murphy talking about, well, we may need another lockdown in New Jersey. You know, if you're not good, I may have to put you in the corner again. I just see the appetite in New Jersey of people like, you know what, do whatever you want. I'm just not paying attention to it anymore. Is it the same way in New York where people, but if you're a business owner, you can't not pay attention to it. It, You're being strangled. And I'm just curious what the appetite or what the vibe is in New York. It's a very liberal city where people tend to welcome this big government edicts. Well, you've got... You've got really two strains. The first is the religious institutions, and uh, an Orthodox Jewish uh, combined with a, uh, a Catholic archdiocese in Brooklyn, uh, the two of them sued successfully to roll back the, the strict limit, most strictest limits on um, the uh, religious institutions. Then, on the other hand, you have the businesses, who some of whom are defiant, some of whom are suing but many of whom are just grumbling. And, I mean, your heart really goes out for them when you, when you, when you hear the incident, incidental cases of people you know, make, trying to make efforts to, to uh, uh, preserve dining outdoors. Of course, it's getting colder. They went to enormous uh, expense getting heaters, constructing these pavilions, filling them, you know, with with sand so as to if any cars were to hit them, they're in the, the parking zones mostly, uh, but they're right next to traffic. So these business owners went to incredible lengths, incredible cost, and the rules kept changing on them. And, and you had to reduce the numbers, reduce the hours, on and on and on. And now, of course, it's getting very soon too cold to eat outdoors almost yep. under any circumstances. And, and yet there's no relaxing of the uh, rules for indoor dining. So a lot of these restaurants are already closed. Shoemakers. I went to the shoemaker I use all the time. Gone. Uh, so it's just small businesses throughout the city are just shuddering because there's no foot traffic and there's and these onerous restrictions that seem to have just been again created out of whimsy or some kind of some kind of idea. Three people in a room maybe say, so "Why don't we do this? Yeah, let's do that. No, let's do it this way." And there seems to be no real consistency to it. And so people are left to guess. And I think that's where uh, uh, even, as you say, New York, liberal people, big government, but even people here, I think, are frustrated by the inconsistency of it all and the sense that you can't plan, you can't assume, Mm -hmm. you can't just move forward. It's always this guesswork. And I think that that is what you get when you get big government. It's this arbitrariness that affects everything. And I think a lot of New Yorkers are seeing this is the problem with big government. 
Yeah. So, so what happens then? The trickle down theory of this obviously is, is if a business goes out, there's no one paying the rent there anymore, right? There's no one paying for the light. There, there's all these things that aren't being done now. So, New York must have a ton of real estate available right now. I would assume there's rock bottom prices. And how does that affect the economy in New York? Well, I think again, I think if you look at it in terms of both uh, residential and commercial. Uh, certainly you had a lot of people leaving the city, people trying to leave the city, uh, and prices are falling on, on apartments. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, not necessarily rents yet in, in, uh, in lower income areas because those, those people are generally not leaving, although many are not able to pay the rent. So you have a real hit to landlords. You have a real, a real hit to people who are trying to sell their apartments uh, as prices plunge. And then on the commercial side of things, as stores close, you see empty storefronts all over the city. And there are, of course, many more that we don't see. But, but even just a ground level on Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue, the premier shopping districts, really without tourism, without a real social life, without, without you know, there's no place to wear something that you buy. Right, there's exactly. no place to go. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you're not going to buy it. And, and these stores, the, the job losses in these stores, and then the commercial landlords of these buildings, the owners of the building themselves, are going to have empty stores, uh, probably be a lot of litigation over rents that weren't paid, and and yet there's nobody to take the place because there's no business yet. Yeah, and and that's that's going to be and you you combine also the rioting that was allowed to happen and the looting and everything else. It's going to I would assume that the cost of any kind of insurance for these stores has to be through the roof if if they find out you're in New York, where apparently you know shopping and just driving your car up, taking whatever you want out of the store and running away is accepted. That can't be that can't be helpful either when it comes to how long does it take New York to come back from this. You know, that's uh, is a lot of discussion of that. We have a mayoral election in uh, next year in uh, 21, and Bill de Blasio, thankfully, is term limited, so he cannot run. There's a number of people uh, trying to succeed him now. But I have to tell you, I have not heard anyone make a compelling case for themselves in terms of having an idea how you put this city back together. What's first? What's second? What's third? How do you give people confidence? Because a lot of this will be about confidence. Uh, you won't see immediate results. But if you, if you trust the person uh, who is the mayor to, to make good, to have a clear idea, idea and then to follow through with a consistency. I think right now that's what people crave more than anything else is a sense of someone in charge who is consistent, who understands the problems and who isn't acting out of whimsy or laziness, just kind of throwing up ideas in the air. Or in the case of Governor Cuomo, who has just been practically thuggish in his approach to all this. So you have really the worst mayor ever, and if not the worst governor, one of the worst governors ever. The combination is just proving fatal to New York right now. Well, no offense to you, but I personally believe that um, people in the five boroughs should not be allowed to vote ever again because they reelected de Blasio. And should the people <laughs> of New Jersey reelect Phil Murphy next year, they too should lose their voting rights. There should be some kind of penalty. And even if you flee the state and go elsewhere, you're going to vote for the same dumb stuff. So that 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 voting right lack of being able to vote goes wherever you happen to move. So whether that's you're going to go infect the Carolinas or Florida or Georgia 
Georgia or Texas, wherever you happen to flee and take your little liberal ideas with you, you should not be able to vote until, you know, you, you learn to be smarter. I, I really do. I, <laughs> I could not believe they reelected that man. I was, I just sat there. I was like, you know what? You're just dumb. You people are just dumb. And it, the same thing's going to happen in Jersey with, uh, with Murphy coming up next year. I guarantee you he gets reelected because he has a D after his name. It's, it's just absolute lunacy. Well, no offense, but I'm really glad I'm not in the city. <laughs> maybe, maybe when they clean it up and I decide that it's okay for me to go back in without having to wear Kevlar because it's, you know, it's, it's bulky and unwieldy. Um, maybe we can meet up and I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> That's a deal. Mary. <laughs> All right, Michael Goodwin, thank you so much. I appreciate you kicking off my Monday for me, making me smile. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. I've got more coming up right here. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And good morning. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. And uh, you know, some people have already called up 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. Uh, we have uh, Janice Dean coming up next. But just some room here. There's one or two people here on the line. Uh, who wanted to comment on what we've been talking about so far. So Eric listening on WDBO in Orlando. Eric, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Hey, you're you're my favorite guest host when Brian's not in. You're doing a great job today. Thank you. Um, you sparked a little thought earlier when you were talking to that gentleman about uh, Facebook and Twitter censoring. And uh, George Orwell seems to be a bigger visionary than everybody imagined because uh, – well, we're living 1984 and Animal Farm combined. I have recently been put in what they call Facebook jail twice in one month. And uh, the last time I got put in Facebook jail, which I am currently cannot post on Facebook, my post was against community standards because they're celebrating AOC and a couple other politicians being nominated for Time Person of the Year. And all I did was say, well, Hitler and Stalin were both Time first man of the year and i got suspended because that's against their community standards and the last time i got suspended three (laughs) weeks ago was because i posted a picture of joseph goebbels and one of his quotes uh accuse your adversary for that which you are guilty i mean what's going on here wow so first of all did you get a tattoo the second time you went to facebook jail This is like my seventh time. Yeah. <laughs> I wear it. I wear it like a badge of honor now. I know. Because I've, I've opened up a MeWe account. I don't, so did I'm I. I opened person. up a MeWe account. I absolutely did. Yeah. And if you, um, I actually have a group there. If you're interested, it's Mary Walter Radio. And it's not that super easy to search for stuff, but I'm learning how. You just have to pick. Like you have to put it in the search bar on MeWe, and then pick whether it's a person, a group, or whatever. 
Um, but um, but we we talk politics in, in the group there, and I so many people from my group on Facebook have been sent to Facebook jail. One guy just got out after seventy seven days, seventy seven days. But you're right; they they have these fact checkers, and I believe it was you know actually Candace Owens. I have this here. This just came down. I just saw this this morning that Candace Owens challenged the fact checkers on Facebook, and she won. She um she challenged uh, PolitiFact over a false rating, and not only did they remove their false rating and retract an article on why her video was supposedly false, but they offered an added correction admitting their own fault. She posted a video on November 12th, which offered commentary on the 2020 presidential election. It was captioned, Joe Biden is literally and legally not the president-elect, so why is the media pretending he is? And it was hit with a false rating. But, you know, she noted not everybody, you know, Eric doesn't have the money or the time to be able to to challenge um, Facebook fact checkers. And it isn't the platform to go after them. You know, I got I actually in my group, they actually fact check a Babylon Bee story. The Babylon Bee is is satire. It's funny satire. They fact-checked a Babylon Bee story. I've had stories fact-checked, and of course they come back, you know, because my group has a horrible rating because, you know, everybody keeps posting, you know, fake stuff, blah, 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 which is why we went over to MeWe. And um, some of the stuff I look at, I'm like, this is absolutely wrong. This fact-check is 100% wrong. Or else they pick, like, some little element of it and say it's false based on this, like, little thing. You're like, but that's not what the story's about. So this censorship has just been incredible. And, you know, coming up, we're going to talk about a poll that was done by the Media Research Center. Um, and they, um, they found that media censorship of certain stories left Joe Biden voters in the dark. And there were eight stories that they chose, three that were stories that were critical of Joe Biden, one of, uh, two of Joe Biden, one of Kamala Harris. And the other five stories were stories about things that President had done, Trump had done that were really great things, like, you know, peace in the Middle East, um, you know, created 11.1 million jobs in two months, um, economic, um, U.S. energy independence, and they they found that 84% of the people they spoke to were ignorant of one or more of those stories. And 17% of the people they spoke to said that that would have changed their vote. They would have changed their vote had they known and fill in the blank. So Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and their censorship, the, the Hunter Biden story, you know, being censored from the New York Post that, that they weren't even allowed to post it on Twitter. If you post it on Twitter, you got you got taken down. You got dinged. You were banned for posting it. That was very effective. And also the media in and of itself not reporting, you know, the President Trump has been nominated five times for a Nobel Prize. Not even a hint on um, on social media. You know what it is on? You know what you can do, though? Time Magazine is doing their voting right now for Person of the Year. President Trump is up for Person of the Year. So I went and I voted and I picked all the people for Person of the Year that I know would make the left scream should they get the most votes. Which is why they'll say, but he got the most votes, but he's not going to win. And then suddenly they love the Electoral College. See how it all works. You can have fun with liberals. If you got some time, go do it. Janice Dean joining us next year on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It- 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I wish I could say that my daily COVID presentations were well choreographed, scripted, rehearsed, or reflected any of the talents that you advance. They didn't. They offered only one thing, authentic truth and stability. But sometimes that's enough. Hmm. That being um, Andrew Cuomo, the uh, governor of the state of New York, accepting his Emmy for his briefings, which were great political theater. They'd had a cast, it had a villain, it had everything you could possibly need, including cliffhangers. Janice Dean, Fox News meteorologist, and just incredibly nice, one of the nicest people I know, joining us now uh, because Janice has been the face of the opposition to Governor Cuomo. Janice, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with Mary. Oh, you say that to all the girls, I betcha. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't. I have to tell you, I thought it was such hubris for Governor Cuomo to, number one, accept the Emmy. Like, I would have been like, now, seriously, I don't deserve this. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. And number two, his acceptance speech was just like doubling down on the line. And and it's it's just like somebody said, one of the last callers said, the world we're living in right now, it's with, with coronavirus and everything. It's like Animal Farm combined with 1984 and some weird mashup. And it's like, we know he's lying. He knows we know he's lying. And he continues to lie. Well, I think he's told himself this lie so many times that he actually thinks it's it's reality. Uh, you know, nothing surprises me anymore, Mary. It's like the guy had a poster about his flattening of the curve. He made the COVID, COVID death mountain poster, as I call it, because yes. it was symbolic of, of, of how high the, the, the totals went and then how he flattened the curve so it went down the other side. So he sold that poster first with the cartoon drawings of himself and his, his car and his dog and the boyfriend, his, his daughter's boyfriend, hanging off a cliff. So he thought that was hilarious uh, during the pandemic when thousands of people are dying, including my in-laws. And then he comes out with his book, his book about leadership, uh, that's been out for about a month. And since it's released, I think the, the numbers of COVID cases have gone up like threefold, three times the amount. And now it's the Emmy, and now he's also being considered for the Time Person of the Year Award. So, yes, it is bizarro land, but nothing surprises me with this governor anymore. And, and it's just not this government. It just seems like everything that is happening in this country, I, I just feel like down is up and up is down. And it, it's just weird. And I really feel like I'm being gaslit. But when you think you're being gaslit, like, you know, so at least you can keep your sanity. But I also took I also took great comfort in going to the Time People of the Year um, survey and voting for everyone that would make liberals cry. So... And and downvoting anyone like Cuomo or anybody else that they would love. So I mean I don't I don't know. I guess a, a lot of conservatives would have to do that in order for the joke to play out. But um, I I took great comfort in it. It made me feel good. 
Um, you know, you're hearing you're hearing Governor Phil Murphy in New York now, wag, excuse me, in New Jersey, wagging his finger because he has gubernatorial envy. He wants to be Andrew Cuomo. He didn't get an Emmy for his briefings and his briefings followed Cuomo's briefings. And people just started punching out because nobody wanted to hear what Phil Murphy had to say. Right. So he has envy. So whatever Cuomo does, Murphy has to do. So, you know, put people in, in nursing homes who are covid positive. That sounds like a great idea. We'll do it in New Jersey. Cuomo just made a bigger impact with it, which is disgusting. Um, Now he's saying, well, you know, the number of cases are rising. We may have to lock down again. You know, if you're not good, I'm going to have to punish you again. I I think we hit a point, though, and correct me if I'm wrong. We hit a point, especially this time of year when so many businesses, Black Friday, they need to make they need to make it here. This is why it's called Black Friday. If they don't make bank, they go out of business. So it made me it made me sick over the weekend to see Governor Cuomo tweeting about supporting small businesses. Mary, he did that, I believe, on Saturday or Sunday. And I had to respond to him and say, you know, 30 uh, percent of small businesses will never come back again. Uh, it is terrible. And here's the governor saying, go out and support your small businesses. I mean, it it I I don't really know what to say anymore because, um, you know, the messaging is so, as you mentioned, upside down. Uh, the fact that no, not only the New Jersey governor, but the governor of Michigan as well, Whitmer, uh, put COVID positive patients into nursing homes. So did Gavin Newsom. So did Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania. Guess what all of those governors have next to them? A D. Yeah. For a dummy. Uh <laughs> We could we could start that if you'd like. So let me ask you in regards to that, because I adore that you have been in his face and you don't let him forget. And I love that about you because I think you represent so many people who are in the same situation that you and and your husband have been put in because of coronavirus with losing loved ones because of the actions of Cuomo, of Murphy, of Gretchen Whitmore, of, of, of some of these other governors. And so I love that you're in his face all the time. Is there any recourse for you, though, financially or legally? And do you see something where that that other people can maybe take some some solace in that, maybe do the same thing? Well, that's a good question. That was something that Governor Cuomo did very early on, is that uh, people can't sue the nursing homes. Uh, and listen, I, I have never thought that that's the route I want to go towards. Uh, it's not to say that if someone has that route to go towards, they shouldn't do it uh, to get a lawyer. Um, I know that my sister-in-law has certainly talked to some people. Uh, but at this point, you know, it's not about suing anyone. Uh, it's about fessing up to your uh, the things that you did wrong. I mean, it was just about a week ago that the governor was speaking at Riverside Church and saying, if you're a good leader, you admit to your mistakes and yes. you show that you have accountability. And I thought to myself, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Because he has, to this date, never accept, accepted responsibility. He has blamed everyone on the face of the earth, God, Mother Nature, New York Post, Fox News, nursing home workers, the nursing home residents themselves, uh, for his mandate to put COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. Um, so, you know, the fact that he doesn't take any responsibility is the reason why I'm still out there, because I just want to remind as many people as I can that he has yet to gone out to go out there and, and say to people, I am sorry for your loss. He has yeah. never said that. 
you know, I, and I wasn't even thinking of suing nursing homes because I don't think it's their fault. They were threatened and, and were forced to accept these patients. So I don't believe it's the nursing home's fault. I was thinking about about the governor and, and suing him for the edicts that he put out there that and, and refused to take responsibility for it would force him to take some kind of responsibility if he had to, you know, comment or issue a statement or something like that as some way to get some kind of um, satisfaction. It wouldn't bring any loved ones back, obviously. But I didn't know if that was that was a route that was even open to you because I know you know you have a hard time suing the government and taxpayers pay for it anyway. Mm-hmm. You're right, but it seems like the only thing that this governor responds to is lawsuits. Uh, so there is something to that. You know, again, we don't yeah. we're not going to sue anyone. But what I would like at some point is in, an independent bipartisan investigation with subpoena power, and it might have to come on the federal level. Mary, because I'm not having any luck with uh, the state level. Yeah, which oh, it's it's so ridiculous. I'm learning so much through coronavirus and through the election. You know, watching the president on with Maria yesterday saying, they tell me I have no standing. He was one of the candidates. How, what do you mean he has no standing? That how politicized our courts have become. And you start to realize how important it was that Mitch McConnell got all those judges through in order to counteract mm-hmm. uh, the, the judges that Obama got through during eight years and how many we, he, he got through in just four years. So important it is because any kind of sense of justice, I fear, has really died in this country. Justice is no longer blind. And I think that's a really scary place for our country to be. And it is definitely one step closer to Banana Republic. And I'll tell you, Janice, and you can come visit me, but if I'm going to live in a banana republic, it's going to be on an island somewhere where I can go outside and pick my own bananas. Because (laughs) if I'm going to get the politics, I might as well live in the tropical paradise, right? I know. I know. It's terrible, especially, you know, with the vaccines. Those are so important. And the and the governor here is is fighting those vaccines because, you know, because they're under the Trump administration. It's just gotten to the point where, you know what, he just makes such bad decisions on behalf of the people he represents that I'll just continue to try to do what I can from my social media platform. And thank you for all of your interest and, and, you know, for helping me fight this fight because sometimes it truly feels like I am, you know, on an Island by myself. Yeah. Well, I just hope there's bananas. Um, Janice, thank you so much. And thank you again for sharing your story. And as I said, just being the voice of this and being the face of this, it takes a lot of guts to do what you're doing, especially when you're working through grief. And I think you are just a beacon to so many people who have, who have been in the same situation that you are in and, um, that's invaluable to them. So thank you so much, Janice Dean. Appreciate you joining us. Anytime, Mary. God bless you. All right. Your calls coming up. 888-646-7669, 888-646-7669 is the number here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
866-408-7669 is the number. Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. We've been talking coronavirus. We just were speaking with Janice Dean and about, you know, what she has gone through with the loss of both of her in-laws in a nursing home in New York. And she puts the blame squarely on the shoulders of Governor Cuomo. And we also have been talking about the businesses. And economists project that nationwide 2% of small businesses will close forever because of the pandemic. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but there are more than 30 million small businesses in the U.S. They employ more than 50 million people. And so if you close even a small percentage of those, a lot of people are going to be out of business. A Yelp economic impact report in September, this is September, found that almost 164,000 small businesses had temporarily closed since the beginning of March with uh, 98,000 of them reported as permanent closures, never coming back. And if each one of those small businesses employs a handful of people, and a small business is up to 1,500 employees. So if you get a business with 1,000 employees and it doesn't come back, that's a huge economic impact. And that's a trickle-down effect in your local area, the area in which that business closes. So we want to talk about all of this. 866-408-7669. Tony on WABC, my area. Hey, Tony, good morning. Hey, hi, Mary. You know what? I've called in before, and I, I can't believe your, your opinions and everything and your thoughts are, are so much like my own. But I just wanted to comment on the, on the restrictions that all these blue state governors and mayors and everything is, has put forth in front of us. And, and I believe it's nothing more than punishment. It's, yeah. it, 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 I know it's a power trip for them, but it's also a punishment on probably the public because of the way – um, things are going. And, you know, the Democrats, the Democrat Party years ago was a good party. I, I was a Democrat for years and I changed because I just didn't like the way things were going. But, you know, I, I feel that this whole thing is nothing more than a punishment for yeah. the public, you know, and the Democrats are being punished also. So they should wake up. Anybody's listening to the show that's a Democrat, wake up, realize that you're being punished with the rest of us and they don't care about you. Yeah, These you know what? You know what's what's maddening though. Well, here's what's maddening, Tony. And Tony, clearly, you agree with me. We have a lot of the same opinions because you too are a genius. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I see it here though. I live at the shore, right? And our town was inundated with New Yorkers this year, and they are they're moving here. They're just moving here, and they are buying up everything they possibly can. A house across the street from us went for three point six million. They're tearing it down and building some big boxy Ikea looking thing that's square and doesn't belong with the neighborhood because they don't care. And what do I see more and more? Biden signs, Biden Harris flags everywhere. They come here and they vote, they come here for the low taxes and the good schools. And then they vote for high taxes and bad schools. And they never, it never makes the connection in their teeny tiny little ant sized brains. I don't, it's like a mental illness. And I don't say that to be funny. Like when you can't connect your actions with the outcome, there's something seriously wrong with you. And you're like, boy, we moved to New Jersey and the same thing happened. I can't believe we have to move to North Carolina. And they moved to North Carolina and the same thing happened. like, oh, I guess we got to go to Florida. And, and like, maybe it's you. You know, you ever have that friend? I had a, a girlfriend and, you know, every guy she dated, it was always drama. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's you. Maybe it's not them. It might be you, you know? And somewhere along the line, that light bulb has to go off and it never does. It is one of the most insane things ever. Thank you, Tony. Let's head out to Arizona. Fred at Lake Havasu. Good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Oh, good morning. <clears throat> I was 
to a segment on uh, Governor Cuomo and um, the lady you had on there. Janice I really think that, yes. And what I think the only thing to do is to file suit against the nursing homes. I, I'm a retired uh, civil attorney. You file suit against they will then cross-complain against the state. And that's how you get the state into the lawsuit. And they're the real bad guys on this, and you focus on them. And uh, that's the only thing, like, you're right, that's the only thing Como understands in bad, bad publicity. And I tell everybody out there, all your people lost anybody for Coma and went to those nursing homes that Como sent them to, you think about filing a lawsuit against them. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I say that, they're going to put up a lot of immunities and so on, but it's worth, they're going to have to answer for this. There's going to have to be some kind of official answer. And I, I frankly think that's one of the other things. And the second thing is, I, I listened to the president yesterday, um, and unfortunately, and I'll be blunt with you, I was not impressed. Uh, he, he sounds like he's defeated. And the reason why he sounds that way, he says, I hope I have a... Uh, path to victory. He, you know, I've never heard him use that before. And I think, frankly, if his name is not physically on that lawsuit as a plaintiff, that's the reason why they're not saying that he, he has no standing. The campaign has no standing to file a lawsuit for loss of votes. It's the candidate. Remember the case Bush versus Gore? You got to put the candidate in there. I don't know what the score, you know, what the reasoning for that is, but that seems to be uh, that thing bothered me quite a bit. Um, well, they're that- not they're not suing Joe Biden. The lawsuit is against the process of what happened in the states, the 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 physical the process, the political process that happened in these states, the legal processes that happened in these states. That's why it's not v v Biden. That's why it's not Bush v Gore again. You know, it's not the same thing because they're going after a they're going after this a different way. Instead of having to prove fraud, which is a very d- difficult thing to do, they are instead um, proving they're they're going for proving that the that laws were broken when when these secretary of states change the law without going through the legislature. They don't have the right to do that. So it's e- that is an easier path, and they don't have a lot of time. So that is why they're going through that. And Fred, as far as the president sounding defeated, I thought that the president yesterday... You know, this is the first time we've really heard him just be able to talk about this with that reporter yelling at him about, you know, you know why, why do you beat puppies? Um, he, he got an opportunity with Maria to be able to to kind of like air his 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 grievances and i think it was very therapeutic for him so i think that's what we heard yesterday all right more coming up more of your calls coming up on the brian kilmeade show from the fox news podcasts network download and listen to the untold story with martha mccallum the host of the story on fox news channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com from the fox news radio studios in new york city giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach it's brian kilmeade Hey, good morning. How are you? Mary Welter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, as Frank Dillard just told you. 
866-408-7669 is the number. I'm talking about how coronavirus has impacted America's small businesses. And I want to know if you have a small business or you work in a small business. Now, a small business has no more than 1,500 employees and makes less than $38.5 million in their average annual revenue. I'd like to own a small business like that. <laughs> $38.5 million? That's a small business? Dear Lord. Most people think of small businesses is like the, you know, the little mom and pop shop down the street where you get your, you know, you get your, your sub or your, your bagels. You know, that's what we think of as a, a small business. Most of us are a little boutique where you go shopping. And I, I, probably, I think that's probably the bulk of it. But economists are projecting that 2% of small businesses will close forever because of the pandemic. I think that's a conservative number. Uh, small businesses account for nearly 44% of all economic activity in the United States. Now, the, a Yelp economic impact report that was published almost three months ago, it was published in September, found that about 164,000 total small businesses had temporarily closed since the beginning of the pandemic, with 98,000 approximately of those closures reported as permanent. I know people have lost their jobs because the job's gone. I, I have a friend who works in retail in Manhattan, and he was making really good money because he's very talented very talented. And he was a personal shopper for some soap stars and celebrities. And, and he did, he was making really good bank. It's gone. The store's gone. So now he's trying to revamp himself as just a personal shopper to these people. Cause he's smart. He keeps business cards. You know, he makes connections, but now he's trying to launch his own business and his own way, you know, his own gig basically because the store, which was a chain just closed, gone. Allison, our producer used to work there as a matter of fact. Um, but she got out before it closed. Uh, permanent closures represent roughly 60% of all small business closures. Permanent closures represent roughly 60% of all small business closures. Restaurants and retail stores face the brunt of the, the impact. And this is according to CNBC. Business closures, according to Yelp, have continued to rise with a 34% increase in permanent closures compared to July. So between July and the end of November, 34% increase in permanent closures. And, and I'm just curious, what effect is it having where you live, your town, your area? What effect is it having? And what effect is it having on you, if at all? 866 is the number. Let's go to the Bronx. Barry on WABC. Hey, Barry, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How you doing? Hello. Hi. Yeah, I think that Como should have been impeached a while ago. I think he thinks he's infallible because he won the election twice. He doesn't realize that in New York there are a bunch of dopes. Didn't they vote for de Blasio too? So it's a dumb city. And he thinks he's infallible. He's very dangerous because he's not only stupid, like you, the other lady said, that lovely lady you had on. He that was Janice never Dean. admitted he blamed Trump. He blamed the janitors for the nursing home thing. He was begging Trump back in March to send help. Trump opened up Javits Center. I think yep. he sent him 2,000 beds. He also sent the hospital ship. With about six, yep. seven hundred beds, he decided not to use them, and to force the nursing homes to take in these people. It's like sending the lions in. Absolutely, and but Barry, here's the thing: they reelected, they reelected De Blasio. 
And, you know, if I think if they could vote for him again, they may not this time, but they'll vote for the next person who has a D after their name, right? That's what they do. They do the same thing over and over again. And at some point, you get the government you vote for. You know, you just get the government you deserve. And you're right. The people the people who keep doing this, are they're not that smart. They really, truly aren't. Uh, and Barry, thank you for the call. Here's the thing, though. Cuomo acting like he's infallible. You know what? Because after a while, you start to believe your own press. And if you're surrounded by people surrounded by New Yorkers who keep telling you how great you are and how wonderful you are. And the only shows, the only media you go on is your brother's show on CNN. I think it becomes easy to believe you're impressed and you were just awarded an Emmy for your brilliance in your coronavirus briefings that people from all over the country watched it. And, you know, I, I think that if you live in that bubble, you and you never get out of that bubble, you believe what's in that bubble. And the same thing goes for conservatives, conservatives who only consume conservative media and only hang out with other conservatives. I think they they live in a bubble as well. I don't think it's healthy on either side. I think you need to get out of your bubble, period. But um, listen, if people keep reelecting bad politicians, of course, they think that they're doing a good job. You know, but I don't think it's going to change in New York. I think they're just going to get another Democrat. Um, and, you know, this one may not be as bad as de Blasio. It's just going to be another Democrat until they drive it totally into the ground the way Dinkins did. And then you get another Giuliani. Eventually, a Republican comes in and cleans it up and makes it nice again. And then they vote in another Democrat. And it's the same cycle over and over and over again. Again, they're not that smart. Let's go to Charlottesville, Virginia, and say good morning to Robert. Hey, Robert, good morning. Hi, Mary. Uh, by the way, you've got a beautiful voice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here in Charleston. I'm kind of address what you were talking about. We've actually done a very, very good job with the coronavirus here. Uh, the UVA students have done a great job. They get tested every nine days. And, and people here, I mean, wear masks, and they're really trying to do the practice, you know, the social distancing. And the businesses are here are doing pretty darn well. And so um, – so I feel really, really good about that. And um, what kind of, of what kind of that, bu- wait, wait, what kind of business are you in that you're doing well? Because it's really retail and restaurants that are really hurting and probably aren't going well, to come back. Let me plant a seed out there to a lot of people. I sold real estate for 30 years at a very, very high level. I'm 66 years old. I have an eight year old, believe it or not. But I've been driving the last five years for for Lyft and Uber, and I'm telling you, I I am so busy. You have no idea. Because people need rides. People have to get to work. And um, But um, I, I'm one of the top drivers in the country. I, I did um, over 7,000 trips last year. and so. Uh, but I work at seven days a week. I love it. And you know what I get to do is I get to show love every day. Because this pandemic, I mean, it's been so meaningful to drive during this time period. Because people really appreciate getting rides. And I just took a really nice young African-American uh, young man about 70 miles from my, my hometown. I just got back to Charlottesville. But uh, but that's a business where you can make money right away, and they and they really need drivers because a lot of drivers aren't driving. You know, it's interesting. Um, I uh, I tried to take an Uber or Lyft the other day. I forget which one because I go back and forth between the two, no offense. But uh, sometimes there's a difference in, in the rates. And I needed to go – two miles, you know, just, just go to my dentist two miles down the road. Cause my, my car died and it was, it was like $24. And I thought, dear Lord, I'll, I'll walk. It was, it was like craziness. It was a crazy amount of money. So I guess maybe they are really making a lot of money because like you said, not, not as many people are driving. And so I guess you can, you can jack up the rates if, if you know, be based on demand. That makes sense to me. So needless to say, I did not go to the dentist last week because of that. So we just got a new battery in my car instead, which 
more cost effective than what it would have cost me to get to get a ride. Robert, thank you so much for joining us and good for you. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. I love to hear stories where people are, are, are doing well. 866-408-7669 is the number. And we're talking about small business and how the coronavirus has impacted America's small businesses. And I want to hear your stories, what it's like where you live, uh, your, you know, your area, you know, some of you go to, go to a store and it's gone. You know, you're like, oh, you know, I keep my fingers crossed when I have to go to certain stores. I'm like, oh, please, 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 please be still open. Because, you know, you just feel for these people and you want them to be able to make it through. And I try to patronize as many of these small businesses as I possibly can. But it's not easy. Let's head out to Florida and talk to Walt. Hey, Walt, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Morning. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. So what's it like? Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, Well, down here in uh, Floral City, Florida, which is a really rural area, uh, most of the people that uh, you know that are into working have actually uh, adapted to the situation. But uh, a lot of them really uh, have a problem when uh, people like uh, Governor Cuomo uh, vote, vote themselves a twenty-five thousand dollar a year raise. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, he get he gets a raise, and and it's interesting because the judge noted that um because i believe it was it was challenged because um judges and other lawmakers weren't getting a raise and the and the the judge who made the ruling it was decided that um that there wasn't a because of the times where they didn't have the money in the budget to pay everybody else but cuomo got another raise and he's now the most the most highly paid governor in the country (laughs) in january two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for what he does really Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good money for uh, what he does. Uh, and he gets <laughs> yes. in the way on almost everything. <laughs> yes, the what he does and the way in which he does it, right? Spectacularly, awfully. <laughs> Very true, Walt. Well, say hello to Florida and glad to hear you guys are doing well in, in your little neck of the woods there. And it's great. And I, it's it's interesting because I guess in the more rural areas, um, either the lockdowns aren't applying there or maybe people aren't paying attention lockdowns i don't know how in a rural area you you survive better than you do in in an urban area maybe in the urban areas they're they're cracking down more maybe that's what's happening 866-408-7669 have you lost your job uh did you work for a small business uh or if you are the owner of a small business how are you making it especially if you're in like a restaurant or retail how are you managing to, to make it at least a retail you could go online Websites, um, restaurants, really hard to do online. You can do, um, you know, takeout, you know, curbside service, that type of thing. But I think that's really hard to to recoup what you, your expenses. You know, you get rid of your employees, maybe keep one or two on to help you, but the rest of them lose their jobs. In Galveston, Texas, Jason, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hey, all right. Hey, uh, in, in Texas, the economy is a whole different beast compared to the rest of the country. We got a whole lot more civil liberties. Uh, you know, all the little small restaurants, they're still open. You know, it's just do the right thing, wash your hands, you know, protect yourself, do what they say that can, you know, disinfect. And um, that's that's how we're pulling it. Uh, you know, but I, I really want to say this, you know, that Janice Dean thing, it's really sad. You know, I'm also a nurse of 14 years and this is how it goes. We get a call from a hospital and I've contracted in hospitals, nursing homes, everywhere else. Let's say I'm in a, I'm in the nursing home and I'm contracting well, and I'm getting an admission. Well, okay. I'm the admitting nurse. Well, I'm going to get, uh, 
a call from the hospital, and they're going to tell me who this person is, what's going on with them. And if there is something that that nursing home can't take, like let's say uh, some kind of respiratory virus or uh, tuberculosis, and I'll say, hey, look, we're really not set up for this, and this is going to, you know, automatically the patient advocate starts with that nurse. And then it goes to the director of nursing to let them know, hey, we're we're trying they're trying to admit somebody that we, we don't have the capabilities to do this. And then it goes to the administrator. The administrator, the director of nursing, and the admitting nurse are that patient's advocate for everybody mm-hmm. in there. So so and then if uh, let's say the go- the governor calls this place and he goes, well, I want you to take this. That right. director of nursing, that nurse, and that administrator has to say no. We can't do this. So if there was something involved with Como. He, this is where it gets in trouble for for him and the director of nursing, that nurse, and the administrator, is because they knew that Trump had these places set up for these individuals. Everybody knowingly denied that use that's the well, first sign of neglect that's that's the neglect right there you would There's... see and we're up against the clock here so just had, no don't mean to cut you short short but cuomo gave an edict to these nursing homes that they had to take them under penalty of of, of fines and being and punished and everything else so cuomo was the one who forced them to take to take those those patients and you know it's it's great that that texas has a different economy but with all the people moving there from California, I fear that the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to Northern Virginia, that happened to New Jersey, that's happening to Florida, that's happening to Montana, that's happening to, um, you know, the Carolinas. These liberals move out of these cities because they're afraid or they want the lower taxes and everything else. And they go to a place with a booming economy and freedom like Texas, and then they vote the same way they voted back in their little liberal hellhole, and they turn Texas blue. They're going to try to do it. There is a movement afoot to do that to some of these states like Texas and others because they want control. And um, unfortunately, they breed and they they just they're like locusts. They just destroy an area. And unfortunately, I think that's going to happen to Texas, too. But I hope I'm wrong. Thanks so much, Jason. All right. More of your calls coming up. 866-408-7669. It is uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So Black Friday spending hit a new record. Consumer spending $9 billion dollars that's an increase of 21.6 percent year over year online sales 7.4 billion on black friday in 2019 um it was the second largest online spending day in u.s history uh coming in behind cyber monday in 2019 um Adobe expects Cyber Monday 2020 to become the largest online sales day in history with spending between 10.8 billion uh and 12.7 billion 12.7 billion is 35% year over year growth. So I think I think that's because people have been sitting in. 
they haven't spent a lot of money on stuff, right? You know, you got your essentials. You probably spent a boatload of money on, on uh, toilet paper. And you look back on that now and go, well, that wasn't, that probably was not a wise purchase because we spent a premium for it. And now we have enough toilet paper to get us probably through the next 10 years. Uh, so, but other than that, I mean, there really hasn't been a lot of spending on things, you know, clothing, not going anywhere. I'm going nowhere. So I live in t-shirts and, you know, sweatpants and sweatshirts. And every now and then if I do go out, I'm actually to the point now where I put on a pair of jeans to go out, which before, uh, when I was going out and living a life, I would put on, you know, yoga pants to, to go to the grocery store. Now I actually put on jeans. I put on perfume. I put on perfume the other day. It's like, Oh, I'm going out. I actually spritzed myself because I felt so fancy because I was going to the shop, right? You know, <laughs> That's where my, you know, that's pretty much, I put on mascara so that I look pretty, like with my mask, it would look like I had makeup on, which I'm saving money on makeup. I kid you not, because I'm not wearing as much makeup, right? I wear it for TV hits and that's it. But when I'm going out for, you know, with my mask on to the, to the grocery store or something, I just put a little mascara on just so people think I tried, you know? Uh, so I'm curious as to how much you uh, expect to spend and what are you spending money on now or not spending money on now that you would have spent so much money on during the year? And, um, I have another question for you. So I've been stalking something online. I need, I need to buy shades for, for our porch and I need to buy 13 of them. There's 14 windows, bought one already. Make sure I like the color and it fits and it's exactly what I wanted. So I have to buy 13 more and I've been waiting for it. So I said, I'm going to wait for the black Friday deals and the deals. Okay. It's not great. It's, you know, like five to $8 off per shade. That's about it, right? So were you like me and I I roll the dice and I hope that when they keep telling me that, you know, this deal's going to end, this deal's going to end, that it's just going to get better the closer we get to Christmas. <laughs> so I'm curious, if you're a pro at this, what do you do? And does anybody miss getting caught up in the crunch of Black Friday? Do you miss getting shoved and pushed and camping out all night and exchanging germs with total strangers to get the best deal on that TV you can possibly get? Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And have you been cutting your own hair? I've been getting my own hair for 25 years. So it has nothing to do with quarantine? No. Look, I have my hair's like really like straw, you know, and so it's easy to cut. You can't really make too many mistakes. So years ago, uh, I bought a, a thing called a Flowbee, which when we you were did kid, not. when I was a kid, yeah. The infomercial, the yeah, Flowbee. This ingenious device lets you give yourself and family perfect haircuts every time. Yes. It comes with a vacuum cleaner yes. and the clippers. Yeah, I still have it. Stop it. You don't uh, use it. My haircuts take literally two minutes. I go, is, is, th- th- is this Floby? Yeah, it's Floby. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, listen, man, it works. That was George Clooney talking about the Floby and, and his haircuts. You heard what he had to say. Now, the funny thing is, is the Floby got really popular with coronavirus when everybody was, you know, cutting their own hair and everything. And and I just got to the point where I just threw it back in a ponytail. I'm like, well, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. So we're, we're just going to go with the uh, w- with, you know, the ponytail. But my husband can't do that, you know. So I started cutting his hair. We I tried to get a Floby. 
And it was sold out. Like suddenly everybody remembered the Floby from their childhood going, oh, I get a Floby. Do they still make them? And everybody checked them out. I'm trying to get to their webpage right now and it won't go to their webpage. I bet you they are just overrun with George Clooney's endorsement of the Floby, right? Because if your hair could look as good as George Clooney's, you definitely would would get the Floby. So since people are buying a lot of stuff and I'm not buying stuff that I, you know, like clothing and things like that again, because as I said earlier, I'm not going anywhere. So I'm just curious what you're buying because, and are there any gadgets that you love? So I will tell you one Christmas, everybody in the family from one aunt got a Ronco rotisserie. Remember Ronco? And in the eighties, the Ronco. So we got a Ronco rotisserie and we're like, oh, okay, thanks. It is the best gadget we have ever gotten. It's phenomenal. We love our Ronco rotisserie. That thing breaks. I am going to cry. The day the Ronco rotisserie goes down, you will hear wailing from from one end of New Jersey to the other. That is the best gadget ever created. The other one I like, the Slap Chop. Love the Slap Chop too. It's wonderful. I like that. The Grady that comes with it, not so good. But the Slap Chop is phenomenal. So I'm just curious if you have any little gadgets that you absolutely love that uh, you want to share. Because um, I am looking for a present for a Secret Santa. No more than $25. Maybe a fun gadget would, would, would work out for me. Uh, we're also talking about small businesses and being impacted by coronavirus. I would love to buy uh, something from a small business, you know, as, as, as gifts. A lot of people don't need a lot of stuff. 866-408-7669. Uh, Mark in Spring Hill, Florida on WXJB. Mark, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? I am fine. Good morning to you. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, I'm in Spring Hill, Florida, where it's 80, 70-odd degrees and sunny today yet. Well, no one likes to show off, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I. you were talking about small businesses. And I, I have a small business. I, I'm a private investigator. I employ about full-time and a host of other characters on a part-time basis and the COVID really affected my business dramatically uh, primarily I'm involved in three different areas one is called wellness checks where people that are on disability or workman's comp you go and talk to them see how they're make sure they're still functioning alive and yes. still disabled uh, the second thing we do a lot of are accident investigations not reconstruction that's a whole different science but interviewing people and, and finding out the circumstances regarding accidents. And then the third thing, of course, is, is matrimonial. When the COVID hit, my business back in March took a real nosedive uh, for about two months until people got tired of being cooped up and started going back out, uh, in which case there were more accidents because people forgot how to drive and people uh, were fearing, feeling uh, amorous and went to see their significant other. <laughs> and, uh, my business picked up the, the part that still has stayed flat is is the, the wellness visits because primarily the customers that i have come from syracuse and upstate new york where they're they're still locked down um i've retooled my business a little bit i, I don't want to get into what i what i do now but I've, I've changed the emphasis somewhat and it's helped um I went a little bit about New York. Originally, I was I, I was licensed in New York, and in the 1980s, lovely Mario Cuomo, who must have taught his son Andrew everything he knows, decided to triple the fees for investigators in the state of New York. In the same year, he required them to charge sales tax 
is considered a profession and a professional license, unlike or a lawyer who do not charge sales tax. Private investigators are required to. And that almost put me out of business back in the 80s. the licensing is different from state to state. Right. But it, it, it's just incredible. But I, I've, I've been fairly busy up until last week, which is normal. This is my dead time. I usually don't do a lot between now and beginning of the beginning of the year. People don't want to spend money on, on, on what we do uh, professionally. A lot well, of people, people staying close to home normally and saving money to pay, buy presents for the kids and whatnot. Yeah, and you figure you can, you know, there, there's a breakup calendar. Mark, thank you so much. So interesting uh, to be his private investigator. That would be so much fun. Um, you know, people, there's a breakup calendar. Nobody's going to break up with anybody just before Thanksgiving. If you haven't done it yet, whether it's a marriage or another relationship, you are obligated to ride that pony like the, to the, like the second week in January. Because if you don't ride it to the second week in January and you do it before Valentine's Day, especially if it's a dating relationship, then you, then you, you, then you look like a jerk. So then you have to ride it into March. So, you know, either there's certain times of the year when it is acceptable to end a relationship and other times where you're just going to look like the jerk, regardless of the circumstances. So, so I can kind of understand why (laughs) that's not going uh, well for him now. Let's head out to Kingman, Arizona. I have a friend out there who owns a small business, Ryan. Good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi, Ryan. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call today. Of course. Thanks for joining us. So how you, how's your small business doing? Well, it, it's, it's doing pretty well. I'm actually not a small business owner, but I was calling to brag about a kitchen gadget my wife and I both absolutely love. Yes. Uh, we, we were in Palm Springs, California a few months back at a farmer's market. And we ended up buying this polyurethane flexible mesh uh garlic roller. It was a garlic press that would get you to skin and take the skin off the garlic much, much quicker. My wife and I both love garlic. If the recipe calls for two heads, you put four. If it calls for four, you put eight. (laughs) So it it works out beautifully because it saves so much time because I'm an impatient guy. So you put the heads of garlic into this polyurethane mesh roller. You roll it two or three times on your counter. Boom. It removes all the skin from the garlic. The husk comes off a piece of cake. And the second part of this little contraption is a pottery lacerated base, which you can then simply grade the garlic against it and you don't have to chop into fine little pieces it makes a fantastic garlic paste comes great on garlic bread it goes great into recipes it is a wonderful gadget has saved us a ton of time and effort i highly recommend people looking into it nice i love garlic too that is great and i went online to see if the ronco rotisserie still exists and it does and they have several different ones there's the 4000 series there's the in black and in stainless steel and the 5500 series in black and in stainless steel and the easy store in red and stainless and then they have a platinum version i had no idea there were so many options mine's just the old white one it's big and it's bulky and it's the original um, right. and, and I can't imagine because the prices on this are now are, are expensive, but I would assume like that garlic roller thing's got to be what? Less than 20 bucks, right? Yes, it was. I think it was 15 bucks and that was at a farmer's market. Oh yeah. So, you know, there's a markup on that one. Oh, Guaranteed. good to know. Guaranteed. Thank you so much, Ryan. I love fun gadgets. Thank you. I appreciate that. Th- that was the other thing here is just fun gadgets since you know it's cyber cyber saturday cyber monday and it was small business saturday um and i think a lot of people are going to buy stuff on the internet over the internet today cyber monday uh so fun gadgets let's go to uh sherry in pueblo colorado hi sherry good morning you're on the brian kilmeade show good morning i was just calling in to talk a little bit about what's going on in my little neck of the woods um here in pueblo um, uh, the gym that I go to is currently at 10%. The folks who own 
the club also owned two restaurants. So they were both shut. They were all shut down. All of their three businesses were shut down. They took a big hurt. There's some, you know, they're open now, but they, they could never survive another lockdown, another shutdown. And, you know, it's a trickle effect, as we all know. If I can't go to the gym, I'm going to go nuts because now I have, I'm working from home. I work in the state fair industry, entertainment. As you know, live entertainment is decimated, but we're we're holding on. We're holding on to hope that we're going to be able to have a fair in 2021. But we're we're hanging on. But it's it, it's definitely a learning curve. How yeah. do I get out? How do I exercise? I run. I ski. But the days are getting shorter. But if those if that gym closes down, there's going to be a lot of folks in Pueblo that are we're going to go nuts. Yeah, well, you saw what happened to that gym in New Jersey, uh, the Atlas Gym in Jersey, where they changed the locks on a private business to keep them out. They had to break into their own business and they got arrested and were fined and everything else. And they finally had to sue. And I don't know if they would be as crazy in Colorado, although Colorado turning blue with all the Californians, right? Um, I don't know if they would be as crazy there as they were in New Jersey regarding keeping gyms locked down. Um, But you got to do it, you know, soup cans. That's what they say. And we have free weights. So I get up to my, I've got my free weights and, you know, I can still do some of my exercises and we go for walks as well to get that aerobic exercise in. And the sad thing about this, and thank you for the call, Sherry. Sad thing about this is people are going to find other ways to work out and they're like, wait a minute. I don't need to pay the gym membership. I got online. I ordered a bunch of free weights. You can get free weights that are used, right? You just go on like Facebook Marketplace. You go on eBay. Uh, people selling, you know, weights that they never used. And do you care if it's a used five-pound weight? Why would you care? Um, and, and and people are going to realize, wow, I have my own little home gym set up now. I don't need to pay that gym membership that I was paying before. And I think you're going to see some gyms close just due to people not coming back. And uh, just one quick note, one of my friends, Linnea, just sent me a note saying, I have one of those garlic rollers. <laughs> she loves it too. So there's another testimony, more testimony about the garlic roller. More of your calls coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. We're talking about small businesses. Small Business Saturday was was just this Saturday. And uh, how, how what's it like to work in a small business? Have you lost your job? What's it like near you as far as businesses closing down and just never coming back, restaurants? Restaurants, gyms, those types of things, or, you know, boutiques. And uh, also um, any kind of gadgets. Today's Cyber Monday. And my husband and I got a Ronco rotisserie over 20 years ago. And it is the best gadget we have ever had, ever, ever, and totally love it. And so I love fun gadgets. I love the as seen on TV section in the store. My husband and I will, will just go through that thing going, oh, I think I need that. We never buy it, but we we, we go through the, mm, I think I need that. Oh, why didn't I think of that? So we love those things. So if you have any gadgets that you use that you think are wonderful, I'd love to hear from you as well. 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, Mary Walter sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade, taking your calls at 866-408-7669. By the way, the, that garlic roller press, somebody sent me a link. It's on sale at Amazon for less than $7. <laughs> And it was somebody else who said it really works. So 
So you go, we're just talking about fun kitchen gadgets or just gadgets in general that uh, you you have and that you found. And this I don't know if this is a gadget, but when Sears was in business, I, and this is towards the waning days when they were in their death throes, I love going to Sears. I loved Sears, and you can call me an old fogey, and that's fine, but I, I loved Sears. I thought they had great stuff, great prices. I thought it was a really good store, and I got sheets. They had sheets on sale for just a ridiculously low price, and we had just gotten a king-size bed, so I needed king-size sheets. I got these sheets with quote-unquote button technology. I had no idea what button technology is, so get this. The bottom, the fitted sheet, all right, at the bottom in each corner has a button, and then the top sheet at the bottom of each corner has a button hole. So when you make the bed, you put the bottom sheet on and what we, you put the bottom sheet on, or you could do it ahead of time and you attach the top sheet to the bottom sheet. And then you put the bottom sheet on and then you tuck the top sheet in under there. The top sheet never comes up from the bottom. It's genius. Absolutely genius. And then Sears goes out of business and I can't get the sheets anymore, but it was absolute genius. Whoever thought of that brilliant. And I had no idea what I was buying. I went back. To, I wanted to go get more from Sears, and then they went out of business. So there was no more. And I looked online. Can't find them anywhere, but that was a great gadget. Uh, Bill in Burlington, Vermont, listening on WVMT. Hello, Bill. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. What's your gadget? Mary, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, friends and family are buying like uh, crazy rolling pins. Talk about kitchen, not gadgets, really. Rolling pins. People are staying home more, and you, you know, for a while you couldn't find flour on the shelves, and well, that made sense. That's why. Because people, people were baking; they had nothing else to more. do. They were everybody was baking. I remember that. Yep, and it seems to be. It seems to have caught on again. It makes sense. It's not really that hard, I guess. You know, and uh, <laughs> pasta in particular—that's what people seem to want. And I think, well, partially because there's a really good book out by a guy named Evan. I forget Funky. I think his name is, but. And he promotes doing it by hand and all this other stuff. But at any rate, that's what's I got to go and get that on the list for everybody and track them down. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I wish I had time in my world to make pasta. You know, my husband and I both work jobs that are quote unquote essential. So we had we were we were walking in the summer, and my husband's you know works in an ICU. He's an ICU doctor, so I mean he's up to his eyeballs. You know, thirteen hour days, and then it calmed down, and it's kind of working late again. And we were walking, doing our walk one night, and it was just therapeutic for both of us to get out and walk. And he said to me, he said, you know what? If one more person looks at me and goes, I'm bored, he goes, I'm just going to punch him. I'm just going to punch them in the face because <laughs> we don't know what it's like to be bored. And if anything, the two of us have just been crazy, him with coronavirus and me with the election and the election cycle and everything. And we were going to go away in October and we couldn't because of the election and just, just insanity. And these people are like, so I'm learning how to make pasta because, you know, I have nothing to do and I've watched every movie on Netflix that I could possibly possibly want to watch. So I think I'm going to learn how to make pasta because I'm bored. I'm like, really? Just just go away. Just just go away. I can't wait for the time in my life when I can say I'm bored. Uh, let's go to David in Springfield, Florida. David, good good morning. You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, Mary. Thanks for taking my call. Doing a wonderful job. Wonderful job. Great Thank to you. hear female voice at this time of the day on the air. Thank you. <laughs> uh, two, two quick points. Number one, people are bored. Uh, let's support our local businesses. How about the local hobby shops? They have everything from model planes, model trains, puzzles, boats, you name it. The local hobby shops, for the most part, are pro small independent businesses. 
not only does it help them, but it helps you do something creative and stay home where you're safe. You're getting paint, you get into artwork, et cetera. I love this. I can I just say I am so glad you called because our little local hobby place and it was a train place as well went out of business. And I was so sad when I saw that and I thought, God bless him. I don't know how he's going to make it anyway. But I would love to see a resurgence of hobbies because it's such a fun family thing to do. And I think it's so good for kids to use their imagination because they don't do it anymore. So I absolutely love that idea. Couldn't be better. It keeps your mind busy and keeps you thinking about things. So support our local hobby shops. They need to help. And for the most part, they're not great big chains. Right, right. They're not. I love that idea. Thank you so much, David. I I appreciate your call. Uh, And thank you to everyone. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you to Brian for letting me sit in the seat. And Allison, Pete, and Eric, appreciate you guys. Have a fantabulous day. Stay safe. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.